0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord Jesus, thank you for the stories that you told. Give us fresh understanding this morning as we engage with this story. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, we have another short gospel passage that seems straightforward. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector may be new to some here and is probably well known to many. This story, we may think, teaches us a simple moral lesson. Don't be like the Pharisee, who was a proud hypocrite. Be like the tax collector, who was a humble sinner. Indeed, the parable does teach that, and as I hope we'll see this morning, a lot more as well. When we hear this story, it's hard not to be horrified by the arrogance of the Pharisee. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income." Can you imagine someone actually praying like that? Happily, I have never heard anyone pray in that way here at Ascension. Thank God at least we're not like the Pharisee. Yes, (laughs) and therein lies the problem. And so we laugh at the irony of it. And yet in laughing and pointing the finger at any who might fall into the trap of thanking God that they're not like the Pharisee, then we've just done the same thing. Now we're thinking, thank God that I'm not like the person who thanked God that he was not like the Pharisee. Oh my, this is turning into a hot mess. As I often say, when preaching on the parables, Our natural tendency is to identify with the wrong person in the stories that Jesus told. If we think we've got this parable down, maybe we need to think again. So let's take a closer look. To introduce this story, St. Luke tells us Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. I wonder, do we ever trust in ourselves? Do we ever regard others with contempt, or at least think of others as not being as good as we are? How easily we do fall into the temptation of looking over our shoulders to see what other people are doing, or wondering what they're thinking, instead of coming before God as we are. I should imagine we've all played the game of relative thinking and though we may not pray out loud in church for all to hear, don't we sometimes find ourselves comparing ourselves to others and chalking up points because we're not as bad as they are? How quick we can be to judge others. It can happen anywhere. In the grocery store, you look at what someone has in their shopping cart and you judge them. And at the playground, you see a parent looking at their phone instead of watching their child who's desperately waving for their attention from the swings. Now, of course, if you ever need to look at your phone, it's because of something very, very important. I I understand that. If we ever trust in ourselves that we are good and look down on others, well, this morning's story from Jesus is for all of us. All of us have a responsibility to humble ourselves before God. We need to look at ourselves honestly before God, in comparison to Him, not in comparison to others. We're not called to judge the sins of others, rather to be penitent for our own. Well, let's turn now to the two main characters in the story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Those who have been in church uh, for a while instinctively know that the Pharisees are the bad guys, but you know, that's not how they would have been perceived by everyone in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were a group of very religious Jews who taught strict observance of the Jewish tradition. And they often commanded great respect and would be considered the good guys. The tax collector, on the other hand, he was part of what well, a group of people that were typically collaborators with the occupying Roman forces and had a reputation for overcharging their neighbors and pocketing the profits. They were almost universally regarded as the bad guys. The Pharisee, in the story Jesus tells, was in some ways a good person, after all. He was in the temple. A rogue or an adulterer. But as Jesus so often does, he turns our expectations upside down. It was the Pharisee's very goodness that was his problem. It was his fervent upright and rule-keeping ways that led to his pride he thought that he could rely on his own goodness before god the pharisee fell into the age-old temptation of comparing himself to others whom he looked down on and judged in order to assess his standing before god and then in this surprising twist jesus has us see the tax collector as a good example, the tax elector is a good example not because he was intrinsically a better person than the Pharisee, he almost certainly wasn't. And yet it was precisely because he knew that he was a sinner that he found forgiveness. The key to receiving God's mercy is not in the degree of goodness or badness on the part of an individual rather it lies in a person's willingness or unwillingness to ask for god's mercy and i see some heads nodding and i'm glad they're nodding and i nod at that and yet somehow in our culture we're hardwired i think to think and behave as if that were not true we read in psalm 51 the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O god you will not despise. Who wrote that psalm? King David. And he wrote that psalm coming out of the realization of his own guilt and his own desperate need for forgiveness after he had been confronted about his own grievous sins. And Jesus, of course, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These statements each represent a countercultural approach to life. The poor in spirit, like the tax collector, understand that they're not worthy of God's love or forgiveness or acceptance. They cannot come to God boasting of their goodness or of their achievements or of anything else. All they can do is come and ask for mercy. The tax collector mourned the state that he was in. He knew he was a selfish swindler and he grieved his wretched state. And in that grieving, in that true self-awareness, he finds forgiveness and blessing and he goes home justified. I was told as a child that justified, it's one of those long kind of religious words, means just as if I'd never sinned. Well, he went home just as if he'd never sinned, not because he'd tithed or fasted or hadn't committed any grievous crimes, but because he asked for God's mercy. And it is God who does the justifying. It's actually a legal phrase for a declaration of being not guilty. He prayed out of desperation. He was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Not a righteousness, not a goodness, not a doing good that comes from himself. He knew he didn't have that. What he needed, what I need. What you need is a righteousness that comes from God. God's generosity and mercy reach out to the lost and can only be received by those who acknowledge their need for that mercy. I think some people may think that asking for mercy and coming to God for help is a sign of weakness. It's kind of a crutch for those who can't make it themselves. If such a charge were leveled against me, I would have to say guilty, guilty as charged. You're right, I can't do this by myself. I think there is strength in admitting our weakness. There is wisdom in knowing that we're not wise. Let us never try to justify ourselves before God like the Pharisee in the parable, but rather submit ourselves to God like the tax collector. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith is that those who humble themselves will be exalted. It was not the self-assertive, self-righteous man who went home justified. It was the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Hope and joy come when we put our trust in God. So when we make mistakes, when we fail, We don't just have to try harder. Rather, we come before God in humility and we pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we rely on God rather than ourselves, then we find mercy. Then we find that God forgives us, restores us, and remarkably uses us for his purposes in his kingdom. In the last verse of Psalm 84, which we read together earlier, the Psalmist declares, O Lord God of hosts, blessed is the one who puts his trust in you. This is the key to coming into God's presence. And as most of us know, putting our trust, actually putting our trust in God is often hard By nature, I think we want to be self-reliant. We're certainly taught that that's what we should do. And like the Pharisee in today's parable, we may rightly do the things that he did. Fast, give, and and not get into trouble. And all of that is, is a good thing. But none of that is something we can rely on in place of trusting in God. Of course, the good things that we may do Are more tangible we can give money and time and effort and we can we can make things happen and then we feel good about that but the starting point for all of us needs to be the recognition that we can't make it all happen we certainly can't make it happen when it comes to that justification our standing before god We could read many Christian books. We could serve the needy. We could volunteer at the hospital and still be far from God and from his purposes for our lives. Our passage this morning ends with these words of Jesus. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. An honest assessment of ourselves says two things. I am a sinner and I am deeply beloved by God. Both are true, both are biblical, both inform who we are and how we live. Our individual echo chambers may pump us up or tear us down. And this is one reason why it is so important for us to be in community. A real embodied community, not a virtual community that feeds or destroys our sense of self based on the numbers of likes we get on social media. Our community groups at Ascension are one example where we get to be real with one another, where we can be vulnerable, and where we can be reminded of God's love for us. The danger comes when we forget that we are sinners in need of God's mercy and dwell on our own achievements and our own goodness rather than God's goodness. That is the road to destruction. There is also a risk, almost the opposite risk, that we become so absorbed in our own unworthiness that we fail to hear God's words of love and affirmation, which is why we must never forget His love for us. Coming to God in humble prayer is the way that we can do this. We can hold these two things in tension, the sense, the truth that we are sinners and that we are beloved by God. The prayer of humble access in the Anglican tradition, which we typically use at Ascension during Advent and Lent is one of my favorite prayers in the prayer book. I've included it in our service today for us to use as a way to respond to God's word to us this morning. We pray this prayer immediately before we come to receive communion. And the prayer begins with four vital words We do not presume. We do not presume. We do not presume to come to the lord's table trusting in our own righteousness but in his abundant and great mercies we are not worthy we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under his table but he is worthy he is the same lord whose character is always to have mercy and in this prayer having acknowledged these things the prayer continues that we are the unworthy recipients of God's mercy and forgiveness that we can then give back to God out of all that we are and all that we have and all that he has entrusted to us. And we know, for example, that Solomon invested a huge amount of money and time and resources into the building of the temple. We know that at least one tax collector, not the one in today's story, but one we'll hear about next Sunday after coming face to face with Jesus, gave away half his possessions to the poor and repaid fourfold all those he defrauded. And so today, God still calls us to give of our time and our energy and our money. This is not some transactional thing to earn our merit with God, no, no, no. It's a calling to give in a response to what God has given to us for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his son. Our response is to receive his love, trust in Jesus, and give back to God in humility and in gratitude. Let us never succumb to that temptation to trust in ourselves, and in our own righteousness. Let us always come to God with a right sense of who we are before him, created in his image, unique, beloved, not good or worthy in ourselves, but sinners in need of God's mercy, made righteous, made worthy through Christ. Thanks be to God.